Today's reading is from John chapter 14, verses 5 through 17. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the foundational courses that every pastor has to take in seminary is a course called Systematic Theology. It's called Systematic Theology because it follows a pattern, a system. Church, it was a pain. But I'm so glad that I took this class. Because though I'd grown up in church my whole life, it was during this Systematic Theology course that I saw for the first time how things fit together. The creator and the creation. I saw for the first time the big picture of what God was doing through this tremendous experience. Our story. Today, as we begin our journey through the Sundays of Lent, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called The Big Picture. And it's designed to help us better understand the fullness of God's story, God's work for this world and in this world, for our lives and in our lives. Understand what God is doing and how we can be part of it. Over the course of the next six weeks, we'll examine this story and strive to see the whole board. And if, If we're going to understand this big picture, we have to start at the beginning, and the beginning, of course, is God. That's what I titled this sermon today, God. Our worship team here at Ebenezer had a lot of laughs when they saw that title. Just God? That's all you're going to talk about? What are you going to talk about next week? (laughs) But if we don't start at the source, we're not going to understand the rest of the story. The story begins with God. So in order for us to better understand who God is, there is a notion I want us to wrestle with together today. And it's this. Who God is, is of greater import than what God does. Who God is, is more important than what God does. We most regularly understand God through what God does. God created. God went to the cross to purchase our salvation. 
God gave birth to the church through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but all, all of God's actions throughout the cosmos and throughout history are simply a function of who God is. To illustrate this, I want to share two phrases with you that I introduced four years ago to our congregation. When having the conversation about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are two ways that we talk about God. One is called the imminent trinity. That's who God is. Inside of God's own self, the relationship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the imminent trinity. The second is called the economic trinity. The word economic doesn't mean money. The word economic comes from the two Greek words oikos and nomos, the work of the household. Economy means work. So the economic trinity describes how God is at work in the world. Imminent trinity, who God is. Economic trinity, what God does, or how God is at work in the world. Now, we're going to come back to the imminent trinity in just a few moments. It will be where we spend the most of our time today, but I want to begin by exploring together how God acts in the context of the world, how God does work. What God does. The way that God is at work in the world through the economic trinity is generally classified into three very large buckets. God does three things on the earth. God creates, God redeems, and God sustains. As creator, God is an artist. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, Amos chapter 4, says, Behold the, ones who, the one who formed the mountains and creates the wind who turns the dawn into darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. As you may already know, I grew up in East Tennessee. Uh, and, and the house that I, I grew up in as a child was a, an old brownstone house with this big front porch. And we had this big white porch swing on it. And one of my favorite things to do was to sit on that front porch swing and watch the sun set over those stunning mountain vistas. It was pure artistry, the wonder, the color, breathtaking. If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon or felt small next to the ocean, if you've watched in wonder as winter gives birth to the new life of spring, you have seen God's artistry at work. And then as we grow up, we start to understand more about the creation and, and the process that God used and still uses to create. One of the things I came to learn was why the sunsets are so stunning. As the light from the sun has to travel at dusk through a greater portion of the atmosphere, the waves of light are dispersed against a broader spectrum rather than that shortest wavelength of blue. And my point in telling you this is to say that God as creator doesn't just mean that God is artist. It also means that God is the great engineer. Did you know that if the force of gravity were even marginally stronger, the universe would collapse upon itself? If the force of gravity were marginally weaker, the universe would expand into veritable nothingness. It is exactly, the force of gravity is exactly what it needs to be for stability consistent with life. In creation, God arrives at the perfect union between artist and engineer. But God doesn't stop with the creative effort. 
God continues. God doesn't simply wind the clock and let it go. Throughout history, some people have surmised this, that God is the absentee landlord. But our story, our story, tells us a different thing about God. Not only did God create, but God cares deeply about our well-being. So deeply that God was willing to get involved, to sacrifice in order to save us. It's this journey that we make towards the cross, commemorating the season of Christ's sacrifice in Lent. God didn't simply create and turn it loose. God also redeemed at great cost to save us. The manifestation of God becoming flesh and living perfectly in order to die perfectly for us represents the greatest act of love in the history of the cosmos. And the resurrection perhaps represents the greatest act of power. As God conquered once and for all by the power of righteousness, both sin and its consequence, death, yet even there is not where God's involvement stops. Fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit bursts onto the earth in love and fire and purpose. Forming God's people into the most formidable force for good the world has ever seen. The Spirit gave birth that day to the church of Jesus Christ, responsible for building more schools, feeding more people, housing more homeless than any other movement. The Holy Spirit is still at work through us and in us to draw us and all the world into loving relationships with God and one another. And as we heard today in our scripture passage, the advocate, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is with us forever. God is at work sustaining us through that spirit right now in the year 2021. God is still sustaining, still nurturing, still drawing us toward God and toward one another. So what does God do? God creates. God redeems. God sustains the world. That is the economic trinity. God is at work on the earth to create, redeem, and sustain. And it's important that we know that, my friends. But remember, who God is is more important than what God does. That's the imminent trinity. Who God is is more important than what God does. Allow me to say that differently. God does what God does only because God is who God is. The creation, redemption, and sustainment of the world are external evidence representing an internal reality inside of God. Now, we humans don't always exist this way. We live with dissonance. Sometimes we have evil inside of us yet manage to do good. And sometimes we have good inside of us and yet we manage to do evil. That's not the way that God works. God is different. God is completely good and it is testified to through the fact that God only does good in the world. God is in this way fully self-actualized. The wonder of creation, of redemption and sustaining of this world is that it teaches us who God really is inside of God's own self. And that, that, my friends, is the heart of the conversation today. 
God has done teaches us the most important lesson we could ever learn. Who God is. This is a question that we often fail to engage because trying to understand who God is is a challenge to the way we think. We've been raised our whole lives to believe that one plus one plus one equals three. And yet, in the world of Trinitarian theology, one plus one plus one, well, it equals one. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Three, yet one. And throughout history, folks have had all kinds of creative ways of trying to explain this threeness and oneness. A couple of examples I'd like to share with you. One, one of the best, I think, is the idea of God being ice, water, and steam. Water as that thing which is necessary for life. And God represents the giver of, of life. Ice, the solid manifestation of water. Christ became a tangible manifestation of God on this earth. And then, as the water begins to boil, it turns into steam. It's ethereal. It's tough to nail down, and yet there's tremendous power there. Think about those massive locomotives that were run in the last century because of steam. It's one way people have tried to make sense of the three in one, three different manifestations, and yet one substance. Another one that I I like is the imagery of, of the battery, the wire, and the electricity. The battery is the source of the power. That's God. The wire is the conduit through which the power is conveyed. That's Christ. And the electricity itself is the power, the Holy Spirit at work in us. There are all manner of examples of this. One of the ones that is very interesting to me, that helps us understand how something can be both one thing and another, both three and one, has happened over the last hundred years of human experience in the field of quantum physics. Quantum physics teaches us that everything we can see is both matter and energy at the same time. That's what Einstein's theory of special relativity meant. Energy equals mass times the speed, speed of light squared. My lectern, for example, is here to hold my notes. But if we could break apart the matter that's in this lectern, if we could access just a small part of it, there's tremendous power, tremendous energy in the matter. Interestingly, one gram of matter. That's about the weight of a paperclip. One twenty-eighth an ounce of water. One gram of matter could produce enough energy to be similar to the amount of energy produced by 15,000 barrels of oil. Something is both matter and energy at the same time. Science helps us understand how something can be two things at once, mass and energy, just as God is at once one and three. There are some great metaphors to help us understand who God is internally, but my favorite of all of them is the metaphor of the dance. 
My wife watched for years the show Dancing with the Stars. And frankly, because my chair faces the television, I watched it with her. Now, there was some interesting stuff that happened uh, in the show. There were some dancers who were really, really bad at dancing. But there were other folks who started bad and got better, who started out pretty good and got really good. And something really fascinating kind of occurred along the journey. When dance partners become in tune to one another, when they become really, really good, what happens to our eyes as we watch them dance is that they are transformed from being two people into being extensions of one another's body. They are joined together. That's what good dancing does. And it just so happens that the word the early church used to describe who God is is the word perichoresis. Peri means around. Core, from, from the word with which we get the, the word choreograph, to dance. The early church described God as that entity which dances around within itself. The divine dance. The perfect dance in which we stop seeing the two And we see the one. We stop seeing the three. And we see the one. Jesus talks about this in our scripture passage today. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. It is a perfect dance. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit engaged in the eternal dance with such precision that each member perfectly connects with the other in a way that makes them one. It is perfect relationship. And that, my friends, is who God is. At God's heart is perfect relationship. And everything that God has done, the work in the world, God's efforts throughout the creation, perfect relationship. All of God's efforts are designed in such a way to help us join in the dance. God's heart is perfect relationship. And everything God has done, the work in the world, all of it, is God's effort to help the creation experience the perfect relationship enjoyed by the Creator. That's the point. That's the point of the whole experience called creation. God didn't create us because God had need of us. God has no needs. God is involved now in this moment in perfect relationship within God's own self. God created us so we could experience perfect relationship too. That's why Jesus tells us that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the language of relationship. Relationship isn't simply why God started this experiment called creation. Relationship is also where we're headed. Heaven is the perfect embodiment. It's the restoration of the beautiful dance 
that unparalleled, perfect symbiosis with God and one another that we once enjoyed in the garden. That's why in his final prayer, his prayer for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for us to be one, just as he and the Father are one. My friends, if we want to understand the big picture, the story of everything, it starts here. God, who is perfect relationship, created to share that way of being with the world. That we might be blessed by God and blessed and blessing to one another. To know who God is means more than saying God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It involves understanding the perfect relationship within God's self. And the reason God created to share that perfect connection with us. It's been God's dream since the beginning, and it is our destiny. And if you are someone who is looking for practical application of some way to apply today's teaching to your life this week. How about this? Our God, who is perfect relationship, created us for perfect relationship. So, let's work on our relationships. Draw closer to God. Let's allow ourselves to become more open with the people around us. Let's let them in. It's scary. They could hurt us. God knows that is true because God experienced it, but let them in anyway. Let them see that we don't have it all together and watch as they, in turn, share their true selves with us. I recently shared with our congregation a couple weeks ago that Part of my journey over the last couple of years has, has uh, last couple of years has involved uh, wrestling with a mild case of depression and a, kind of a moderate case of anxiety. And um, I went back and forth about whether I should say that to you guys. It, it, it's not because I was ashamed of it. There's nothing to be ashamed of with stuff like that. The the reason I I was kind of afraid to share that with you is because I was afraid that if folks heard that I was dealing with these things, it would make it harder for me to do my job. At the end of the day, I'm here to help you. I'm here for you. And what what if you don't reach out and let me know when you need help because you don't want to be a burden to me because of the things that I'm going through? But you know what I discovered? What I found was that more than a few of you reached out to share with me that you face similar struggles in your life. My friends, taking off the mask and letting people in, it doesn't handicap us. It deepens our relationships. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the point of the whole experience of creation. Our relationships are not the things we build along the way as we concentrate on our jobs or take the next step in our careers. Our relationships are the point of the whole creation. It is who the Creator is. 
So tend our relationships well. Which means be vulnerable. Apologize. Strive, strive, strive. Not simply to reinforce our positions, but honestly to understand where someone else is coming from. At the end of our scripture passage today, after Jesus described the Trinity, his perfect connection with God the Father and this coming of the Holy Spirit, after that, Jesus concludes this section of his farewell discourse by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are his commands? Well, it's worth noting that just a few moments earlier in this same passage, this same conversation Jesus was having with the disciples, he gave them a new command. He said, a new command I give unto you, love one another just as I have loved you. For by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my commands, what he is saying is, if you love me, you will love one another. My brothers and sisters, if our stock in trade, if our belief about being a follower of Jesus is based upon thinking ourselves superior to others because we think or act differently than they think or act, then we have missed the point. We've missed the big picture. The God of perfect relationship calls us to be one to tenaciously break down the barriers that would separate us, just as God did. And to step onto the cosmic dance floor with the rest of creation. Who is God? God is perfect, perfect relationship. And that perfect exchange of love, that perfect relationship is why God created us. And unavoidably, we will come to know connection like that one day by and by. But we don't have to wait for heaven. Break down the barriers. Build those relationships now. That's why God created us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three who are one. Amen.